Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Our service tonight is centered around the first chapter of a book called Esther from the Hebrew Bible. I want to give a content consideration before I read this chapter. This chapter contains extreme patriarchy unto misogyny. Take care of yourselves. The book of Esther is a story beloved by our Jewish siblings unto this day. You might have Jewish friends who celebrate Purim every year. It's an annual party for Jews during which friends act out the story of the king and his young, beautiful queen, Esther, and the heroic cousin, Mordecai, and the evil Haman and They remember the power of brave individuals to bring down evil regimes and thwart genocidal violence. You can imagine it's been an important story for our Jewish kin for a long time. Christians also love the book of Esther. It's not unusual in the church of my youth for women's retreats to be given the theme for such a time as this. Have you heard that one? I bet you have. That's what cousin Mordecai famously tells Queen Esther, that she has won the royal beauty pageant and has been awarded to the king exactly for this situation, so as to be miraculously, providentially available for her dangerous mission to trick the dick into saving or sparing her people. In my experience, this theme comes with a complimentary gaslighting on the side, like, see... Ladies, being the gorgeous wife of a powerful man is just as good as, maybe even better than, having actual power of your own. But before the beautiful, virginal, brave, but tremulous Esther, there is Vashti, the OG queen, the perimenopausal woman who has had it up to her crow's feet with her husband, the king, and his entitled frat boy horn dog, but have you seen my hot wife posturing? This is the story of the day Vashti says no. Esther chapter 1. This happened in the days of Ahasuerus, the same Ahasuerus who ruled over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in the citadel of Susa in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his officials and ministers. The army of Persia and Medea and the nobles and governors of the provinces were all present while he displayed the great wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and pomp of his majesty for many days, 180 days in all. When these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in the citadel of Susa, both great and small, a banquet lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. 
There were white cotton curtains and blue hangings tied with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and colored stones. Drinks were served in golden goblets, goblets of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. Drinking was by the flagon without restraint, for the king had given orders to all the officials of his palace to do as each one desired. Furthermore, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the palace of King Ahasuerus, and on the seventh day, when the king was merry with wine... He commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zithar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who attended him, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing the royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the officials her beauty, for she was fair to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command conveyed by the eunuchs. At this, the king was enraged and his anger burned within him. Then the king consulted the sages who knew the laws, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and custom. And those next to him were Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Marys, Mersena, and Memucan, the seven officials of Persia and Media who had access to the king and sat first in the kingdom. And he said, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus conveyed by the eunuchs? Then Memucan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only has Queen Vashti done wrong to the king, but also to all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, for this deed of the queen will be made known to all women causing them to look with contempt on their husbands, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she didn't come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will rebel against the king's officials, and there will be no end of contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king... Let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be altered that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, vast as it is, all women will give honor to their husbands. High and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the officials. Imagine that. And the king did, as Memucan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, declaring that every man should be master in his own house. Master of the house isn't worth my spit. Counselor, philosopher, and lifelong shit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Look, it's not like she woke up that morning with the idea to get herself banished. 
She woke up, actually, with a massive hangover, headache, nausea, pillow crease marks on one side of her puffy face, and the slow realization that she still had one more day to go. One more day to wriggle into her full body spanks and stupid spike heels, plaster on the makeup, paste on a smile, and entertain the hell out of those wives. The arm candy for all those officials and ministers, all those men on her husband's payroll and under his boot. One more day to play her hostess part, keeping the women out of the way so the boys could be boys with a minimum of damage to their domestic bliss. And she almost made it. But late on that seventh day, the final day of the citywide festivities when, frankly, everybody was good and drunk, not least of all the king, though they never said the king was dead-ass drunk. They said he was merry with wine to preserve his royal dignity. That's when she got the call that broke the queen's back. He sent his entourage of eunuchs with the summons. Those sweet boys were never anything but kind to Vashti, and she mothered them like they were her own. But on this day, they shuffled their feet and muffled their voices as they conveyed the king's command. Vashti urged them to spit it out. Her hearing wasn't as sharp as it had been in her glorious youth. He, um, he wants you to come uh, present yourself wearing your... Um, crown? Wearing my crown, she puzzled. I mean, sure, but if he just wants them to add its jewels to their mental measurement of his um, empire, you could just take it in there. Here. Um, no, my queen, said one of the brave, beautiful twinks. He, he wants you to wear it, and um, the kid was blushing to such an extreme the queen thought they might stroke out. He says, you should wear only the crown and maybe, maybe do a little dance. The kid cringed as they said it. All the party noises in this part of the palace, women clinking glasses and jewelry, musicians playing dainty ditties on strings and bells, servants scuttling back and forth with dishes of delights, all of it stopped suddenly. And in the silence, everyone waited for Vashti's reply. Rather, they waited for her humiliating obedience. In the past, she'd have done it. Thrown a little tantrum first, sure, but after a minute, she would strip down to her birthday suit while the eunuchs touched up her Brazilian wax, lotioned the dry patches, plucked and plumped and painted, finally attaching the heavy crown to her updo, supplemented by clip-ons that were by now a couple shades darker than her silvering tresses. She was beautiful. There was no doubt about it. After all these years, she still carried herself with dignity, and both genetics and privilege were very much on her side. Everyone waited to see Queen Vashti exposed a walking, breathing, dancing vindication of the king's pride in all his possessions, none more paramount than this woman's body, available for everyone to appreciate, but only for him to have. But into the silence that night, there came neither remonstration nor acquiescence, 
Instead, they all heard the queen take in a breath as deep as her shapewear would allow and let it out slowly. And then one spoken syllable came clearly into the quiet. One syllable that would change everything for her forever. On this, the seventh day of the citywide celebration of patriarchal power and patrician privilege, after six months of festivities reifying the absolute absence of opposition to this king's authority anywhere within a million miles of himself at the center of his own special universe, Queen Vashti said simply, no. She said no to the king's command that she parade for his drunk gaggle of kiss-ups. She said no to a centuries-old tradition of staying in her place as a woman and wife. She said no to an economy where wealth accrues to beauty and beauty to wealth. She said no to an economy that monetizes sex and sexuality. She said no to turning down dessert for the rest of her life to keep her queenly figure. She said no to maintaining beauty standards that want women's bodies to look disturbingly like children's bodies in certain areas. I know, I know, it's anachronistic to equate ancient Eastern standards of beauty with those of our sick culture, but the idea is the same. Controlling women's bodies, owning women's sexuality is inherent in patriarchy, and Vashti said no to that. And the king and the men who advised him were shook. This is bigger than one undanced dance, his advisors told him. This kind of insubordination is contagious. Women will get ideas. This is the no herd round the world, O king, and you're going to have to get out ahead of it or there will be an uprising of wives saying no to their husbands and who knows where it will go from there. So on the advice of the dicks of the round table, the king signed the new just say yes law mandating men's mastery of their household with the cooperation of compliant wives throughout the kingdom. Included in the law was a decree of Vashti's ejection from the palace, or at least from ever appearing in the king's presence again. Aww. One wonders whether that was as terrible a punishment as they might have imagined. Bringing to mind the African folktale of Br'er Rabbit, a trickster who pleads for his captors not to throw him in yonder briar patch all the while, knowing he can escape the briars unscathed while his captors become entangled in its poisonous thorns. Trickster narratives like Br'er Rabbit make me wonder, maybe Vashti didn't simply decide on the spur of the moment to defy the king. Maybe she wasn't as hungover as she appeared. Maybe the eunuchs were in on it having plotted with their beloved queen to whisper the idea for such an invitation into the king's ear in hopes of creating the opportunity for Vashti to say her no and win her freedom. Maybe this day had been coming for a long, long time, and she had indeed woken up that morning with exactly the idea to get herself banished. Because maybe in banishment, there is finally freedom. Maybe that's when you stop laboring to reform the system from the inside. 
hoping that people in power will see the light and become miraculously less assholey, persuaded by your powerful presence to do the right thing for a change. Maybe that's when you stop waiting for your family of origin to call you by your name and use your pronouns. Maybe that's when you stop seeking permission to get your kid the help they need. Maybe that's when you quit expecting the system to work for anybody who doesn't already have power and privilege. Maybe that's when you stop being shocked that they're using Jesus's name to bully kids and vilify drag queens and make people afraid of rainbows. Banishment is a permanent escape from the king's regime, from the empire of bigots, from the colonization of one's own mind and spirit by their shaming and diminishment of your selfhood. Banishment, I'm saying, is power. Getting kicked out is sometimes the best thing that can happen to a person. Parenthetically, see Shakespeare's Coriolanus, Act 3, Scene 3, where Brutus banishes Coriolanus from Rome for a supposed political infidelity, to which Coriolanus responds along the lines of, banish me, I banish you, only with more words, more poetry, because Shakespeare, too long to get into tonight, but for real, one of my favorite scenes ever, as one who returns banishment to those who have thought to banish me. Uh. It's a pretty common story at Galileo Church, banishing. Some of y'all sneak in here, still peeking out from the safe space of the closet, still hoping that the church of your youth, the family of your origin, the school system you work for, will see the light and welcome you or your loved ones into full fellowship. You're terrified of banishment because who knows what's on the other side of that palace wall. Some of y'all bounce down that hill and land in here, having been shoved so forcefully out of your churches and families and friendships that you're still bruised when you land in the big red barn. You're hurt and sad and mad. Some of y'all, you tell me, walked away of your own free will. With banish me, I banish you, the last words they heard you say as you rolled out the door into the bright new day of your freedom in Christ. Truth be told, for almost all of us, the reality has been some combination of all those possibilities. The fear, the hurt, the sad, the mad, and finally the lightness, the rejoicing to be out from under the heavy weight of the tyranny of how things have always been and how we are all supposed to scale ourselves back to fit that old scheme when you get to that point, the rejoicing, when you stop dancing for them and instead dance your way down the hall to the fire exit and let yourself out, even if they're kicking you as you go, well, that's what I call the Vashti point. Or, as I have counseled some of you before, you wake up one morning and you realize, starting today, you are in the Vashti years of your life. You have reached the age where you don't care anymore what the powers that be think of you. You won't wait another minute to put on that dress if dresses are what you've wanted to wear your whole life, but they said you couldn't because dresses are for girls. 
Or maybe you'll never wear one again because dresses are for a certain kind of girl and you're not that. You won't refrain from correcting people who use the wrong pronouns for your kid. You won't need to be anonymous when you submit public comments against laws that restrict the basic rights of yourself or your beloveds. You won't worry about offending or upsetting people by telling the truth that your good brain and your good heart both understand quite well. You'll count your own voice as valuable, your own body as beautiful, your own self as deserving of dignity. And what you need, what everybody needs when they get to the Vashti years, is a group, a collective, a tribe of people who have lived for a good while outside the bounds of the palace walls. People who have built themselves over time into a shelter for each other. People who are experienced at the constant vigilance the Vashti mindset requires, else it becomes recolonized by other people's pervasive expectations. What you need, perhaps, is a church. And maybe one that's been around for a minute. I don't know, 10 years or so? Might be enough practice for such a church? to get really good at it. Maybe what you need is a church named after a famous banishee. Galileo Galilei, perhaps. Astronomer and mathematician and stubborn speaker of the scientific no to the church's hierarchy's insistence that the inhabitants of this earth are at the very center of the universe around which everything else revolves. Excommunicated, for his good work, condemned for heresy. Galileo was put under house arrest, and get this, not allowed to come to church anymore ever again. Aww. Forced to stay home with his beloved, devoted family and do more science, the best science of his life, in fact. Banish me? In my midrashic imagination, Vashti was met outside the palace gates by a whole crowd of people who are awfully happy to see her in her clothes, wearing sensible shoes, no crown in sight, baby gays and menopausal crones at the height of their powers, sex workers and drag queens and all the lesbians the guys and gals from Queer Eye and all their made-over friends, trans adolescents and trans grandparents and the whole gender-spicy spectrum, all of them waiting to welcome Vashti into the bright sunshine of her brand new self in a world where no is a complete sentence and you can be loved for saying it. Jesus said something about that one time. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Get clear. Tell the truth. Don't be afraid. Although, it turns out the king's advisors were right to be afraid. Vashti's no is still reverberating through the universe, 
Galileo Galilei heard the very stars singing no to a subjugation that ignored God's own science. And all together, church, we're adding a lot of no's to that chorus. We are in the Vashti years. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.